Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics. This is the right budget for the time. We remain fiscally responsible. The budget has billions in new spending. Is there enough to help Canadians with the cost of living? We'll hear from MPs. The government has scrapped its projection for a surplus in five years, but is promising $15 billion in savings and cuts. Is it a feasible plan? Canada's former parliamentary budget officer is here with analysis. And... We're going to be helping provincial utilities so that we can power Canada. You cannot get a factory, a mine, or any other infrastructure project built in this country. Alberta's finance minister has reaction to the budget measures on clean tech and the green economy. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, I'm Andrew Thompson in for Michael Serapio tonight. One day after the federal budget, the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister were at an Ottawa daycare promoting their new measures. We'll hear from Justin Trudeau later in the show. Here's how opposition leaders were responding to the budget in the House of Commons today. We had eight years of these multi-billion dollar government programs and what has it given us? 40-year highs in inflation, one in five Canadians skipping meals because they cannot afford groceries, nine in ten young people stuck in their parents' basements because they cannot afford housing, students living in homeless shelters because the cost of living has risen so fast. These hard-working Canadians who do the work deserve a country that works for them, not an out-of-control, tax-and-squander NDP budget like we have before us today. When will they rein in their spending so Canadians can pay their bills? You Democrats are proud that we forced this government for a historic expansion of Medicare to include dental care for the first time. That on one side, our push to double the GC rebate means that families will save up to $1,700 on average per year. We've also forced this government for the first time ever to have strings attached to investments to fight the climate crisis, which require guarantees of good wages and good union jobs. Now, if this government is running out of ideas, we have more. Will this government take the housing crisis seriously and finally build more homes that people can afford faster? So as the budget debate continues inside the House of Commons, let's go outside to the foyer and talk more about the cost of living with members of Parliament. Rachel Ben-Dayan is Parliamentary Secretary to the Tourism Minister. Adam Chambers is Conservative Critic for National Revenue. And Peter Julian is the NDP House Leader. Welcome to all three of you. Good to be with you. Thanks. Ms. Ben-Dayan, let's start with the planned increase to the GST credit. Uh, we're told a qualifying family of four will see an average one-time payment of $467. The numbers are, of course, going to vary depending on family size. but. Even with inflation falling, inflation does remain above 5%. Food inflation is still above 10%. So why is this one-time boost going to be enough for people who are struggling to buy their groceries? Well, you know, thanks for the question, Andrew. I, I wouldn't say that it's enough. I would say that it's important support. And uh, we've seen the Conservatives already indicate that they're going to vote against the budget, despite the fact that, you know, they've raised in the House that Canadians need support. They consistently vote against those supports when we propose them. What we've done with the grocery rebate is um, identify um, a targeted measure that won't add uh, fuel on 
the inflationary fire. You pointed out yourself that inflation is, um, you know, the reason why Canadians are having difficulty making ends meet, and so we wanted to make sure um, that any any supports um, would not exacerbate the situation. Experts have looked at this and they said this is a targeted measure that will not increase inflation and that's something that we were very concerned about. It's also the reason why you know, we continue to support Canadians through other targeted measures such as the Enhanced Workers Benefit which provides um, additional funds to hardworking Canadians because you know, if you're working a 9 to 5 job you shouldn't you know, have to worry about putting a roof over your head or putting food on the table. Okay, I do want to turn to uh you mentioned the Conservatives, so I do want in the time we have turn to Mr. Chambers on this because your leader uh, has been calling this budget, uh, in his words, it's a $43 billion bonanza of new inflation. So I'd just like to know from you, what are the specific measures in this budget leading Conservatives to say that it's going to be fueling the cost of living going forward? So it's the entire budget together as a whole. So it's $43 billion in net new spending, but it's actually $67 billion in gross new spending. So it's the fact that there's a lack of prioritization. It's not that we shouldn't be helping individuals, and we absolutely believe that as a party. In fact, it was the Conservative Party, along with the other parties, who agreed to double the GST credit in the fall. It's the fact that the government has shown no real ability to prioritize its spending most economists leading into this budget said, look, any additional deficits are going to make inflation worse. That's going to hurt the affordability issue. Conservatives also asked, look, we're in a recession. This is confirmed now by the government in its budget yesterday. Uh, one thing you don't want to do is increase uh, taxes on, increase the carbon tax. Okay, but we did hear the finance minister today, Christopher Freeland, did cite uh, former Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polas saying that he thinks that if you're investing in increasing Canada's economic capacity, that that might actually serve to fight back inflation instead of uh, increasing it. So I guess, Mr. Chambers, I'll just put to you again, can you point to, I mean, I know you're talking about the overall spending picture, but are there more specific things in this budget that are going to directly raise the cost of living. Well, look, the government's still planning to spend almost $20 billion a year on consultants and outsourced contracts. So that is, uh, that's something that we obviously should be cutting significantly back on. The government says they're going to save, you know, $1 billion, $1.5 billion a year for seven years on that measure. That's like a far cry from what you need to do in terms of reining in spending. So that would be one example. Yes, Stephen Polo says increasing capacity is important. He also said the increased spending from last year's budget has made inflation worse. Okay, uh, Mr. Julian, your leader, uh, Jagmeet Singh, has been touting the GST credit boost and the extra spending on dental care in this budget. But he also says the housing crisis hasn't gone away, employment insurance still needs a lot of attention. So why are these measures in the budget on affordability enough for the NDP to vote in favor? Well, because these are the very significant things that it took seven and a half years for, for Liberals to actually put into place. The NDP's role in this minority parliament is to get things 
done for people. I can tell you in New Westminster Burnaby that there are tens of thousands of uh, family members that don't have access to dental care. Dental care uh, is, is not just a cost or affordability issue, uh, it, it's also an issue of, of health. And it, the fact that uh, so many Canadians can't get dental care now uh, often puts a, a huge uh, weight on our healthcare system. So th these are all things that uh, should have been done years ago. And, and Tommy Douglas always envisaged that dental care would be part of a universal healthcare system. We now are taking the most significant step we've taken in half a century to expand our healthcare system. And that makes a difference uh, for, for families who can't afford uh, to go to a dentist. The, the NDP's grocery rebate is also something that will provide supports. But uh, we're pressing the government as well on, on the issue of the Competition Bureau being enhanced. We've seen greedflation. We've, we've seen this, and Canadians have been galvanized by some of the hearings with Jagmeet Singh questioning the grocery chain CEOs, these, these mega empires that have been artificially bringing up the prices and gouging Canadians. And, and neither Conservatives or Liberals seem willing to take on these, uh, these uh, big companies that are gouging consumers uh, because we don't have in place uh, competition bureau legislation that actually stops them from doing that. Okay, so, this is, to, uh, so this is part of, of what the NDP plan is to actually uh, provide supports for, for working families across the country that are struggling. Okay, I do want to return to dental care though, and, and Ms. Bandai, I'm going to turn to you. The Quebec government is already saying it wants to opt out of the new Canadian dental care plan and uh, essentially instead receive potentially up to $3 billion over the next five years. If that happens, if Quebec opts out, are you concerned uh, potentially about other provinces looking for the same deal and how would that affect uh, this plan? Look, I'm not going to speculate on, on what will or, or, or won't happen. Um, Quebec came out uh, just a few hours ago and, you know, we'll sit down and negotiate uh, with Quebec, see um, what it is uh, that they would like to do. Um, but our priority is to give Quebecers and all Canadians uh, that dental support. And, and, and that's absolutely uh, what, we're, what we've put out in our budget and what we intend to do. But I would like to respond to my Conservative colleague because we uh, continue um, to have the lowest deficit here in Canada. Canada among all uh, G7 countries, and our deficit decreased from last year to this year and will continue to decrease consistently over the forecast period. We also have um, the lowest net debt to GDP ratio among all countries in the G7. So what we've managed to do is to save our healthcare system um, by investing um, in almost uh, $200 billion over the next 10 years. Um, what we have managed to do is create and sustain um, Canada's place in the economy of tomorrow by accelerating our green transition, by showing that we are competing with the United States in order to attract investors here in Canada, while supporting the most vulnerable Canadians through this difficult time. And we've done so in an economically responsible way. Our fiscal position remains extremely strong and the deficit continues to decrease. And I think that's a point that Canadians would find hard in because it is a Liberal government that has had their back for the last seven and a half years. And it's also a Liberal government that is being extremely fiscally prudent right now. Okay, Mr. Chambers, I'll let you respond to that. But I do want to ask you as well on dental care, would a Conservative government scrap or reduce this new dental care benefit in the future? So first on dental care, look, again, it's about prioritization. If we're going to create a program that is going to just fill the gaps, i.e. Uh, cover people who don't have coverage today, let's have a conversation, but let's find out what else we can cut in government to pay for it. The concern that uh, we have, or at least that I'm seeing on the ground is, 
I have people coming into the office suggesting or telling me that they're now not being covered under a provincial program because there's now a federal program. There's also private employers who are taking people off of their private plans because the federal government is providing coverage. Except, guess what? The federal government plan actually is not as good as the private plans that are also on the market. Now, with respect to what Canadians understand in terms of facts, over the next few years, we are going to spend $50 billion a year on interest payments on the debt. That is almost as much as we are transferring to provinces for health care. And so it's the spending that incurs those interest charges on the debt. We were told a couple years ago by the finance minister that it would be irresponsible not to spend because interest rates are so low. And now interest rates are, have gone up so much that we are spending almost as much on interest on the debt as we transfer the provinces to deliver health care. Okay, uh, Mr. Julian, we have a couple of moments left, so I want to end with you on a kind of a broader question uh, about affordability and, and really the politics of, of affordability and the cost of living. Now, we've already talked about what your leader is saying today, and the message from your party, from Mr. Singh, is that it's the NDP that has delivered on affordability in this budget, pressuring the government uh, through that confidence and supply agreement. But uh, I guess the question is this, if Liberals are presumably listening to you and implementing these policies you want, like dental care, what's the incentive for, for voters who support those measures to look at your party instead of the Liberals when the time comes and Canadians go to the polls? Well, you, you saw the ECOS poll last week that had the Liberals at 28, the NDP at 25. What, what that means at a national basis is that more and more voters are turning away from the Liberal Party and turning towards the NDP. It's also the case that Conservatives are up around 30. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing more and more people who voted Conservative in my riding saying the, the NDP seems to be the only party, the worker bees of Parliament, that are actually fighting hard for, for regular families, actually making a difference. We're not talking about speeches. We're talking about real concrete realizations. During COVID, of course, it was the NDP that, that provoked a, a response on COVID that made such a difference for small businesses, for families, for students, for, for seniors, for people with disabilities. Those are all things that the NDP pressured a minority parliament to, to make sure that folks had the wherewithal to get through the pandemic. And now, as we're coming out of the pandemic, uh, we are starting to put in place other things, like healthcare, like the NDP grocery rebate, all of those things making a difference in people's lives. That's what people really elect parliamentarians to do. Uh, it's something that Liberals and Conservatives, uh, I guess, have lost touch with over decades because uh, they've been here to give speeches rather than putting in place the practical solutions that actually help people. So we're proud of our record. We're still fighting for an on housing, uh, on employment insurance, it needs to be uh, reformed so that people, if they lose their job, actually can access it. Uh, that's something that the Harper government destroyed and the Liberal government hasn't had done anything right, to Mr. fix. All right, Mr. Julian, we are, are things, out of time, unfortunately. Yeah. So we are going to have to leave it on we'll that note for. for today. But I want to thank all three of you, Rachel Bendayan, Adam Chambers, and Peter Julian. Thanks to all three of you today. Thank you, Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. I think people need to understand uh, that this is a time uh, where Canadians need that extra support. We're seeing even with inflation coming down, which is a good thing, which is a response to the measures that we've put forward, food prices, for example, are still too high. That's why uh, we're bringing in significant supports uh, for Canadians.
groceries, but the 11 million Canadians who need it the most. These are the kinds of things we move forward to help with affordability. We also know that health care and dental care remain top of mind for Canadians. That's why we're delivering that. And we also know that building a strong economy of the future, making sure there are great jobs for the middle class into the coming years, particularly given the new investments announced by the United States, uh, is a real priority. So that's why our investments in good middle-class jobs uh, move forward. It's the right Well, yesterday's budget also includes billions for the green economy and improving government services. But on the other side of the ledger, a promise to find $15 billion in savings on everything from consultants to travel. So how feasible is this fiscal plan? Kevin Page is well-suited to help answer that question. He was Canada's first parliamentary budget officer and is now president and CEO of the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa. Kevin, good to see you again on CPAC. Thanks for being with me. Good to be with you, Andrew. So the finance minister says government spending will be more focused and more efficient, but we do have more spending compared to the fall update, including the plan for generating clean growth. So what's your overall sense of the government's fiscal position as you read this budget? Yeah, so I mean, I think our, our fiscal, I mean, there's two ways to look at this, Andrew, in terms of our general fiscal position. Uh, one is that, um, you know, our, our deficits, uh, our debt to GDP ratio, I think relative to other countries still looks quite strong. You know, deficits, in the $40 billion range, about a, a, you know, one and a half percentage points of GDP. You know, debt relative to GDP, in, in, in just a little bit above 40%. Um, and I think, yeah, when we compare ourselves with the United States or with the UK, those numbers are, you know, we're doing much better than our, our colleagues. I think another way of looking at it is that the situation, because of the weaker economic outlook, because of the additional spending, you know, in this budget, we're seeing you know deficits and debt go up. Uh, I think there are some people that re remember that in the late 1990s we worked really hard to get the, you know the deficit and debt GDP you know, debt numbers down, and it seems like we're kind of we're losing some of that fiscal discipline. And and you know this could cost us you know down the road you know when we next fa face the next sort of global shock, whether it's uh, a financial crisis or a global pandemic or something else. So. Uh, yeah, I think but still we're in relatively good shape, but you know, there's not a lot of discipline still built into this budget. Okay, so let's look at where the government is trying to save money. They're promising a 15% cut over five years for management consulting and travel. Uh, they say that'll provide $7 billion. There's also a pledge for all departments and agencies and crown corporations to cut their spending by 3%. The government says that will save another $8 billion. So what's the risk to the government, to their fiscal position you talk about, if they can't meet those targets? Yeah, so, I mean, well, clearly, if, if those targets prove to be difficult to achieve, and they are significant in terms of the, the magnitude of those reductions, um, is, I mean, we'll, we'll end up with a higher deficit. And I think that that is that is likely. It's, it's probably even probable. Um, if you look at the type you know where they're trying to focus these cuts it's on something called sort of direct program spending which includes the operations of government includes you know a lot of the you know the transfers that departments provide um over and above the transfers that are provided to persons and governments so i mean it's about 200 and you know roughly 40 billion dollars when we go to the budget document they're saying that they could effectively find 20 billion dollars in annual savings five years out so that's like 10 percent 
you know, a 10% cut on that particular spending base is very significant. So the government, it's going to be hard for the government to achieve these savings. And there'll be, it, it will, it, it will, there'll have to be, my guess is there, there's going to have to be reductions in the size of the public service and there could be service implications as well. Right. And public sector unions are already warning that you can't cut this much without compromising services to the public. So is that a concern you share? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, well, I, mean, I think there's just really a lack of transparency, Andrew, in the documents. So, it, you know, just the lack of transparency by itself raises concerns. <clears throat> you know, the government says it's going to refocus spending. But what do they mean by that? Um, well, you know, these um, uh, where will these cuts be placed? Like what is the you know, what principles will drive, you know, the cuts across various sorts of departments? Um, you know, again, and, and just back to the math or the ar basic arithmetic, uh, like again, basic operations of government, which are again part of direct program spending, are probably in the neighborhood of 130 billion dollars. Uh, half of that is, is is personnel, and you know the government's basically saying it could hold a constant for five years in the current plan. And like, how do you hold that constant in the current plan when we're going to have you know when unions are going to be asking for uh, you know increases to, you know to compensate for inflation. Um, and when there's other pressures, inflationary pressures on, on non-salary kinds of uh, issues as well, materials, supplies, uh, et cetera. So uh, it, it's, I think it's an area of the budget where there's significant fiscal risk and there's just a lack of transparency in the budget right now. So I think it's, I think it's incumbent on the government, Minister Forche, the president of the Treasury Board, to, to come forth with the plan, let people see like, how, how will, will we achieve these, uh, these savings. Right. Now, the previous Conservative government undertook a similar exercise more than a decade ago when you were the parliamentary budget officer. How does that experience compare to what's being proposed now? Yeah, it feels like deja vu, Andrew. It's um, again back. I mean, it was a number of years ago. We were just coming out of the the, the, the global financial crisis. I think it was the, you know, their, their 2011 budget. Um, you know, they said, you know, the five years they, you know, within five years, they wanted to get back to balance. They chose, like the government, to to freeze direct program spending. Um, they did not, they were not transparent, I think, with Parliament. Uh, I think we went into the 2015 election and, um, you know, obviously we know the electoral outcome, Prime Minister, Mr. Trump. Mr. Prime Minister Trudeau actually won that that election. Uh, I don't, so these cuts were not really that popular. We did get back to balance. Uh, but then we found like it, it was almost like a surge in spending, certainly with respect to personnel spending took place, you know, in that post 2015 period. So we wondered like whether like just those those cuts that were made um, by by Prime Minister Harper, by you know the late finance minister Flaherty, they did not seem to be sustainable. All right. Well, we'll see how the process unfolds this time around. Kevin Page, always great to have your insight on the numbers during budget season. Thanks for this. Great to be with you, Andrew. All right, let's continue with more federal budget reaction now. Travis Taves is the Alberta Finance Minister. He's joining me from Edmonton. Minister Taves, good to see you. Well, it's good to be here. Now, so much of this federal budget revolves around clean energy and whether Canada can match the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. From Alberta's perspective, are these new investment tax credits going to be enough to compete with what's happening south of the border? Well, th that's really the question of the day. And at this point in time, we're continuing to do our analysis to fully answer that question. 
Um, I, I will say uh, at the outset, Andrew, that these additional incentives are welcome for sure. But uh, the, the question is, will they, you know, ensure that we are competitive with the U.S. Uh, and their Inflation Reduction Act? And uh, and, and there's more work to do. It, it would appear that uh, there there's may still be a gap, and uh, and a gap in terms of competitiveness is concerning. Now, of course, there are a number of other factors uh, when we consider, you know, our business environment in total, and and you know, incentives for uh, clean energy, certainly for hydrogen is a very important uh, for Alberta. And, and we as a province have, you know, I, I would suggest really led the way, particularly uh, in terms of providing incentives for the hydrogen sector. We have an Alberta petrochemical incentive program, uh, which is effectively a 12% grant on uh, infrastructure investment. That includes carbon capture and storage uh, investment as well. So we've we've really led the way here in Alberta, and so we're under, we're working to understand uh, the details in this federal budget. Okay, but I but Andrew, if I can add to that, you know, and overall, more broadly, uh, we've been concerned with declining business investment uh, over the last seven or eight years, and and again, there's a number of factors. Uh, we we really see uh, a burdensome federal regulatory environment as part of our problem. And so, uh, you know, we've been advocating, uh, certainly with the federal government, I've been advocating with my provincial counterparts over the last couple of years uh, that we need change and particularly in our federal impact assessment process. And, and I have to say, I was encouraged to see uh, an acknowledgement that that process is excessively burdensome in this budget, but we're really calling on the federal government to move quickly to streamline that process to ensure that it will provide necessary business certainty for investment proponents and uh, and reduce regulatory burden. Okay, I also want to ask you about carbon pricing. The government wants to uh, essentially backstop the future price through these so-called contracts for difference. The government says in the budget that this is going to offer business some predictability across Canada. What's your view? Well, the reality is for uh, for businesses to step out and make these kinds of investments and you know i can identify the you know significant carbon capture and storage infrastructure investment here in alberta for companies to step out and make those investments knowing that you know the the price of carbon could change uh, depending on perhaps who's uh, you know who's serving uh, in in government federally um a, a difference for contracts um or contract for differences arrangement is really essential uh, again, there needs to be business certainty and predictability to see businesses, companies move forward with that kind of investment. Okay, we have a couple moments left. Before we go, I do have to ask you two other questions. First, on allegations today involving Premier Daniel Smith that she regularly discussed COVID-related charges with provincial justice officials. Now, the Premier has issued a statement criticizing these allegations as defamatory. I do want to ask you, though, what more... Uh, will the Premier do or say to address this? I mean, the Premier's been clear. She's uh, simply contacted the Minister of Justice uh, with questions that she's had uh, around these issues. And, uh, and, and, and again, I, the, the Premier's statement stands. Okay, and finally, one more question. It's about you yourself. You just announced that you won't be seeking a re-election uh, in the next Alberta election, which is coming up uh, in two months, 
why did you wait until this point to bow out and what went into that decision? Well, there, there were a number of considerations, uh, as you might expect in this decision, certainly some personal business family considerations um, and and they you know they they all weighed into our final decision it was a tough decision it's been such a privilege to serve Albertans as their Minister of Finance it's been such a privilege to serve my constituents as their their MLA but ultimately it, it came down to business uh, personal and family considerations okay we'll leave it there Alberta Finance Minister Travis Taves is with us in Edmonton tonight thanks for your time thanks Andrew and that's all for tonight's edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Andrew Thompson. For everyone here at CPAC, thanks for watching.